This is a good story. It's hard to find podcast where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Indeed. Yes. And welcome to October. Oh yeah. Yes. My favorite. <laughs> Our favorite. I My think. favorite. Yes. And Julie was kind enough to let me select yet another Ray Bradbury book, <laughs> but I Just... couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. It was like, <laughs> This is this has just kept coming to mind. We haven't done it yet. Um, the October Country, which is a short story collection by Ray Bradbury, and a short story collection that I just love. So. Yeah, it's interesting because unlike the other Ray Bradbury things we've read, it's just short stories that aren't designed to hold together. So we've mm. read what Fahrenheit four fifty one, yeah, which is just a novel. We've read. Excuse me for saying just a novel. It's a novel. We've uh-huh. read The Martian Chronicles, which is a series of short stories, but he always kind of had that universe in mind and they put them together into a book. Mm-hmm. Have we read other? Um, oh, Something Wicked This yeah, Way Comes. Exactly. Also a yeah. novel. That's I was searching for that title, but yes, mm-hmm. we did that. Yeah. And this is interesting to watch him encapsulate different sorts of not just ideas, but the way he writes about things. Some of the stories are deep, some are more surface. Mm-hmm. The language and the expression is definitely Ray Bradbury, but the ideas are much more horror-oriented than I remembered. Yeah, and a lot of those stories, for sure, they are. Yeah. Yep, it definitely has an October feel to it. So it's it's got, um, you know, one of the stories that I'd like to talk about has that October feel, you know, the one... Uh, mm-hmm. Same kind of thing as something wicked this way comes, mm-hmm. you know, this poetic language about October, you know, and then um, other stories are just out and out, <laughs> you know, yeah, there was, there's one I was, I had trouble getting through. So um, <laughs> I was like, I don't like this at all. I think I'm just going to move on. And I did. Yeah. Yeah. And was that the small assassin? That's you said? exactly the one. Yeah, the small yeah. assassin. Yeah, <laughs> I was surprised because I've read this so many times that I remembered at least three fourths of these stories pretty well. Mm. I might not yeah. remember what was in the collection, but I'd start reading the first paragraph and go, "Oh, it's that one." And so, what surprised me is that the stories I really loved when I was young were some of the ones that were totally creeping me out. Really, And I think it's that difference between life experience and what you invest into your reading, you Mm. know, your imagination and how you feel it personally when you're older. Yeah. Yeah. You think of when, um, you know, grownups don't want little kids to read or to hear like Grimm's fairy tales or something without realizing the kids don't care. (laughs) They're not visualizing it as deeply as the adults. It's that same thing. And Mm. The Small Assassin was one where I used to love that thing. And I'm like... Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Skeleton is the one that I couldn't finish reading. Oh, that's interesting. It was, it made me start thinking about my skeleton too much. <laughs> I didn't want to think about it that much. Your skeleton is a separate thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I was like, no, it. <laughs> I don't want to think about all the ways my skeleton manifests itself. I'm fine with me as I am. My fingernails and everything. Stay, Leave in, me alone. stay in my body, skeleton. Stay. Yeah. 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 That is interesting. I've had, I've had periods in my life where, um, you know, so before I was married and had children, um, I enjoyed horror movies, Mm -hmm. um, a lot more than, than I do now, I guess I would say, although it seems to be coming back, I can appreciate a good horror movie, but I went through a period where I just couldn't watch. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I assume it had something to do with I had kids and, and in my head was like, you know, oh, my gosh, you know, it, it just became it, it wasn't only myself that was in peril. It was like the kids and it was like, oh, I don't need that, mm-hmm. you know, or I couldn't. Uh, it just wasn't enjoyable anymore for years. Yeah. Um, but yeah. But now they're all grown and <laughs> and now I can I can handle their peril again. You can become callous again. That's right. <laughs> More detached. I don't know. I'm assuming that that's it. But it really was kind of funny. It was like a light switch. Oh, I can't watch these. 
and then now I can. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because my daughter, one of my daughters, is has always been a more fearful type person, and mm. she's you know gradually worked out of it and all that. But she has really got a great love of horror movies, and I always <laughs> said, "How can you?" It's Hannah, and I'm just like. How can you watch these? And she's like, I know it doesn't seem right, does it? She goes, but they're not real. Mm. She says, there's some kind she can't watch where the peril seems too connected to real life, as you're saying. But most of them, she's like, they're so manifestly unreal. And she, my son-in-law, has never cared for horror stories, but through his love for my daughter, they now both watch them together, and he's really appreciating them as a genre. Wow, uh, that's neat. It's funny listening. Yeah. Oh, we watched this one. <laughs> you know. Yeah, my daughter is definitely going through a horror movie phase. She just she's watching a lot of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to talk about them. Oh yeah. 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 So cool. I watch them if some, there's somebody there to kind of help me with the jump scenes. <laughs> I'll yeah. often make Hannah watch. Uh, I'm like, I want to watch this. You've seen it. Oh, okay, I'll come. Okay, don't look. Now you can look. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, so we do that. Cool. Nice. Well, um, yeah, so this is a short story collection with uh, I, how many stories? There's got to be like oh, 15 or 16 stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can't talk about all of them. So what we decided to do was we each picked two. We've done this before with people like Flannery O'Connor. So, um, how about you go first and tell us what you picked? All right. I picked one I had no memory of except for the very end, as it turned out, called Jack in the Box. Ah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it is told from the point of view of a small boy. Let's see. They tell his name. Yeah, Edwin. Flipping it open. Yeah, Edwin. Who lives in what seems like a very futuristic or apocalyptic world, something like that. He lives in a huge house with his mother in the middle of a big forest. And they talk about how outside there are beasts. You don't want to go too far outside. There are monsters that will run down paths and crush you. There are terrors out there you've got to stay here and be safe and inside the house which his father specially built for them his father who is like a god with a capital g but now gone um, all these rooms that are like different worlds and on each birthday he's allowed to open a new door and see that new world and so they also have a school he goes away he's the only kid though and there's the teacher who's I imagine dressed like a nun. She's all in gray and with robes and she's older and wise. And she doesn't always agree with the mother, but she does agree that nobody should be going beyond the woods. Mm. And it really kind of just tells about trying to think it takes you through his routine. So you get the sense of, of what's going on. But he's becoming curious. He'll find unlocked doors and he'll go in and look around and then he gets caught. And they're like, well, don't, well, what did you think? Well, it was so big. I was scared. Yes, yes. Too large, too uncertain. You knew it was wrong to go out there. And so what this does is start to make him wonder things like, what about the beasts? What about the monsters? What about being mashed? Because they say, do you want the monsters to mash you up like a strawberry? That's what happened to your father. <laughs> and, and God killed. He says, so can you kill God? What was killed? What was death? Yeah, what does was it mean? Was death a feeling? Yeah. Did God enjoy it so much he never came back? Was death a journey then? So mm-hmm. he's having all these more mature thoughts. And at the same time, he's begun to suspect that maybe his mother is his teacher because of the way the light hits her face one day. And then his mother dies Hmm. and he's on his own and the teacher's gone too. Yeah. Because they were the same. And the the end of the book, the end of the story, wait, where is it? It cuts away from him because he's just terrified. He's running, screaming outside the gate. He ran away. It says, 
He did not look back at his old worlds with the capital W, but ran as they withered and vanished. And he's wailing and crying and screaming. And then the policeman's outside on the curb going, I'll never understand these kids. And he's mm-hmm. talking to someone who says, a couple of seconds, a little kid ran by. He was laughing and crying, crying and laughing both. He was jumping up and down and touching things. Things like lampposts, the telephone poles, fire hydrants, dogs, people. Things like sidewalk fences, sidewalks, fences, gates, cars, plate glass windows, barber poles. Hell, he even grabbed hold and looked at me and looked at the sky. You should have seen the tears and all the time he kept yelling and yelling something funny. What did he yell? Asked the pedestrian. He kept yelling, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm glad I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm glad I'm dead, I'm dead, I'm dead, it's good to be dead. The policeman scratched his chin slowly. One of them new kid games, I guess. Mm. Wow. And so reading this, I didn't really, I remembered the end part of you know, discovering the outside world and thinking he was dead. And I suddenly thought of M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And I wondered if he'd read that story before he wrote that <laughs> movie. Maybe. Maybe. Which is about a group of people who decide that they're going to leave a civilization. Well, I mean, you don't know that. It's spoilers. You don't know that at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. a strange society, and there are monsters that'll come and get you. And it's told from the point of view of two of the almost adult people who are being kind of terrorized by all this. And they discover at the end, the surprise is that they're in the middle of a preserve, and the outside world is is going along as usual. Mm. And they have to choose. Do they go back to their preserve or do they join with the outside world? Because the parents thought it was so dangerous they were going to pull away. Yeah, yeah. And this made me think of that. It's just a more poetic telling and, of course, a much earlier telling. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, when when I read this this last time, you know, I wasn't positive what to make out of it all, you know, because, you know, his, his father is God, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Or are they just calling him God? You know, so so is is it you know so to compare it to the village is really interesting because that changes my perspective. So oh. it's like okay, now this is like a real house and things where um, he's experiencing stuff, and then he goes out into the to the real world. It's like breaking out of the village, you know. Mm-hmm. Or you could read it where this is all literal, where. You know, he is God's son, right? And there is mm-hmm. this family, and God is dead, and she's teaching him to be God. And afraid, at the same time, of letting him be God. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can read it either way, or even both ways, because mm-hmm. they... But she does talk about he, her, his father was squashed by one of the beasts, or the mm, terrors. Right, right. Like, what does that like mean? Like a strawberry. <laughs> and I was like, well, then he yeah. got run over by a car. Right. Yeah. That's not interesting. Or, so, or you know, then you could say, okay, well, if this is God, he got run over by modernity. Right? The modern uh, world. Uh-huh. Right? The modern world yeah. took him out. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now uh, this new God is coming and the mother wants to send him or doesn't want to send him out into the world. She wants to keep him. But he's like determined to get out there. Um, like yeah. kids are, you know, so you've got this, you know, typical, uh, you know, you, you, I guess you could also read it just as, as a mother with kids that are growing up and you've got this stay, 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 go, go, go feeling at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, where, you know, I know you, I want you to be successful in the world, but at the same time, I really don't want you to go. Yeah. You know, all those But feelings. not letting him see enough of the real world. So he's right. totally unprepared. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, when I was younger, and I kind of still have some of the same feeling, I kind of looked at it both ways in the sense that I really used to read it as if this is a place that regular people can't actually find. It's mm. kind of some magical, strange, yeah, set aside dimension mm, right. in the middle of the forest. Mm-hmm. And because he's got to leave it, because there's no more support for him, and he is a kid. He breaks out and finds the real world. I mean, our world. Mm. So you have both those worlds existing together. And I never really stopped and thought about the, you know, your father was God. He created all this. Because it's such a weird world that's being set up for us where the mother is also the teacher. 
Mm. Um, because when she's dead, he finds underneath her uh, one of the gray gloves. So you get the feeling that she was like, you know, <laughs> either getting dressed or getting undressed from it. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, right. Anyway. Yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of ambiguity, and that's kind of one of the beauties of these, I would call them the more complex, mature stories in the book. There's some that are just like the small assassin or skeleton, where they're just straightforward horror, looking at this idea that's an interesting idea. And this one, though, is where he's really letting his fantasy out, and he's just kind of really digging in and exploring how would this house look to this kid? Whether it's real or not, we're not told and we don't worry about it. It's just the end makes you think. That's when I started thinking of The Village this time. Because I hadn't seen it before when I'd read it, which was a really long time no, ago. No, but that, that's a really cool reading of it. you know. And I think this is a story that can be read a lot of ways. But, mm-hmm. but I think that's a really cool reading of it. So, yeah, he breaks through and then is out in the real world. And, uh, you know, just seeing all this stuff for the first time is amazing. And then well, if you read it, like if it, if it is God, right. right. He's, he's almost like, is that the son of God coming to the earth? You know? And <laughs> is that like what God, you know, was, you know, the, I can't the, read it that way. Yeah. So, me, um, this doesn't work. Right. Right. So if you, if you do, you know, you could, you could say, well, in this world, you know, if this is God and this is God's son, is God, is God's son, not going to take the role of God and instead is just going to be on the world or, or what, but, well, uh, I mean, but you're right. It opens up a lot of things that are, that are, uh, you know, that don't work in the specific Christian worldview anyway. Well, yeah. in the Christian worldview, because, and I would say even in a pagan worldview, say you're talking about Zeus or something, sure. you can be told you're a God, but if you're not really, if you don't really know who you are, mm-hmm. maybe this is more of it. Can you be God? If you don't know who you are, I mean, right. as Christians, we're given enough of the nativity story and all that to know that so Mary and Joseph didn't know, it, they couldn't possibly understand what was really happening. Mm. But Jesus was raised in, you know, his faith and all this stuff. And then as he gains maturity and, and learns more about God and who he is, because he's fully God and fully man, but he's still a human which is the mystery for us. Mm-hmm. How do you grow into who you are and who you know yourself to be? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and in this case, this kid, if that's how it was, he was improperly prepared <laughs> and had no way of knowing who he was. Right. Because he had no relationship with anybody except one person who was giving him a skewed point of view, mm. which I think is probably another way to read all that. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I marked uh, one paragraph that I just thought was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it says here, here in the highlands to the soft sound of teacher's voice running on Edwin learned what it was expected of him and his body. He was to grow into a presence. He must fit the odors and the trumpet voice of God. He must someday stand tall and burning with pale fire at this high window to shout the dust off the beams of the worlds. He must be God himself. Nothing must prevent it. Not the sky or the trees or the things beyond the trees. I just love that. Shouting the dust off the beams of the worlds. I just yeah. love that line. <laughs> That's Ray Bradbury. Just which love it. Goes, yeah, which kind of goes along with you thinking about what if he was meant to be a god. Sure, and you can still read it either way. It's like, you know, he's if he sees his dad as God, even if yeah. his dad is not God, he's yeah. like, I've got to fill these shoes, you know. Still so, it, it works either way. God wouldn't be run over by a car, but, yeah. you know. Yep, agreed. Um, mm-hmm. But also, there's the thing about the whole story is called Jack in the Box. Yes. And the first paragraph says, he looked through the cold morning windows with the Jack in the Box in his hands, prying the rusted lid. But no matter how he struggled, the jack would not jump to the light with a cry or slap its velvet mittens on air or bob in a dozen directions with a wild and painted smile. Crushed under the lid in its jail, it stayed crammed tight, coil on coil. With your ear to the box, you felt pressure beneath, the fear and panic of the trapped toy. It was like holding someone's heart in your hand. Edwin could not tell if the box pulsed or if his own blood beat against the lid. 
And that's him, of course. Yeah. yeah. He's trapped in there mm-hmm. and nobody can get the lid open. The lid comes open, but later. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. So that can be read all kinds of different ways. And of course, it's just beautifully done. Mm-hmm. So. Yep, indeed. Oh, cool. Well, um, my first one is called The Emissary. Um, such a great story. Yeah, it's such a great story. And it's beautifully done, just like you said of the last story. This is pretty much a straight-up horror story um, <laughs> that takes place in October. Um, yeah, it's just... Uh, I'm just going to read the first paragraph really quick. The Emissary. Martin knew it was autumn again. For dog ran into the house bringing wind and frost and a smell of apples turned to cider under trees. In dark clock springs of hair, dog fetched goldenrod, dust of farewell summer, acorn husk, hair of squirrel, feather of departed robin, sawdust from fresh cut cordwood, and leaves like charcoal shaken from a blaze of maple trees. Dog jumped. Showers of brittle fern, blackberry vine, marsh grass, sprang over the bed where Martin shouted, No doubt, no doubt of it at all, this incredible beast was October. Ah, love it. I do too. That's so beautiful. Yeah, it's just great. So the emissary of the story is the dog. So uh, Martin is, uh, he's ill and he's bedridden. So he sends this dog out into the world to um, bring the world to him. Right? right, and uh, uh, one day he brings a person back with him, and the person is uh, what is she? A teacher? I'm trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, a teacher, but she cool. she starts to come often, you know, and she's older, um, but she starts to come often and uh, just talk to him and bring him things, and then one day she passes away. Um, very sad. What's that? Automobile accident. Yeah, yeah. So she passes away, and um, anyway, time passes, and he he's very sad about that. And uh, then one day, I mean, the dog knows that he's sad, and the dog goes off and doesn't come back one night. And, of course, that's very distressing to Martin. And um, I don't know whether to spoil the whole thing or just to let that happen, but I think it's pretty obvious what's going to happen. <laughs> You know, uh, when I was reading this story, it wasn't like I knew I didn't know what was happening, but still I didn't care that I knew it was <laughs> the first time I read it was just, oh, this is just fantastic. And, well, and um, it says it's not, the dog knows he's sad, but the dog also is hearing something else. It says in the late last days of October, dog began to act as if the wind had changed mm. and blew from a strange country. He stood quivering on the porch below. He whined, his eyes fixed at the empty land beyond town. He brought no visitors for Martin. He stood for hours each day as if leashed, trembling, then shot straight away as if someone had called. Every night, Each night he returned later with no one following. Each night Martin sank deeper and deeper in his pillow. And the mother's like, well, everybody's busy. They can't read the tag he's got on or they mean to come. And it says, no, there was more to it than that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he was hiding under the bed. Sometimes he was standing in the hall. And so you get the idea that, yes, he's hearing a call, but no one else can hear. Yes. Right. Yep. Well put. Well put. And, uh, yeah, when the dog comes back, too. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. There's no deep, deep meaning in here. It's just a nice, just October story, you know, kind of a ghost story. Love it. Yeah. Um, well, it's because at the end, it's dog was a bad dog digging where he shouldn't. Dog was a good dog, always making friends. Dog loved people. Dog brought them home. And you're just like, ah, wait. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's that thing of, um, you know, and you said it's a horror story, but I don't get the feeling of horror because Martin's never really sure what's going on till the very end. And I was left unsure as to whether what was coming in the door was going to be scary or good. True. Yeah. I didn't know either. 
But yeah. but this, you know, so this paragraph is is why I would call it a horror story. So, um, you know, dog comes back, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, dog, dog, where have you been? What have you done? You know? And then um, he pulled back away. He held the animal and looked at him, eyes widening. The odor coming from dog was different. It was a smell of strange earth. It was a smell of night within night. The smell of digging down deep in shadow through earth that had lain checked cheek by jowl with things that were long hidden and decayed. A stinking and rancid soil fell away in clods of dissolution from dog's muzzle and paws. He had dug deep. He had dug very deep indeed. That was it, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Wasn't it? What kind of message was this from dog? What could such a message mean? The stench, the ripe and awful cemetery earth. (laughs) So uh, to me, there's no doubt who's coming through the door. But whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I guess, is up to is is to the imagination. Yeah, right? I guess it's as to whether you think, well, of course, his, I mean, since we've already gone this far. So whether you mm-hmm. think his teacher loved him so much she wanted to come back and visit, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. Or whether it's just enough motivation. And, of course, his teacher herself is changed and she's not his teacher anymore. She's just driven to come. Right, here. right. Yeah. But, you know, dog does bring dog usually brings good people i don't know he does I, yeah <laughs> and i think I, that's why i felt like the motivation was good enough and mm. dog is a good dog and mm. i don't know um, yeah who knows who knows i don't know either but, uh, i never thought of it as a horror story Thank <laughs> God. but yeah to me that was a horror story and who's coming through there is not someone who should be alive yeah. and uh to me that's horror you know. well that's true mm-hmm so yeah, but who knows? Maybe they'll play cards <laughs> <laughs> with people's fingers falling off and so forth. <laughs> well, and of course, so once again, you have somebody who's uh, kept away from the world. Yeah, true. Which well, most that's of interesting, these, isn't it? That's a good connection. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it occurred to me a lot of these stories have that. It's how much connection do you have with the world? Hmm. Um, some of them, like the small assassin or the skeleton, these are just other kind of things. But when you think about the scythe, mm-hmm. the first one about the dwarf. Oh, it's called the dwarf. Yeah, the dwarf, yeah. Um, yeah Uncle Enar, if that's how you say it, which is a favorite story of mine. It's, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a lot of the ones that have a little more magic or something to them, you are constrained somehow. Not either not accepted or just not capable or not able to mm. be part of larger society. And, of course, that's in itself a bit of a horror. Interesting. Um, just as a quick side note, you mentioned Uncle Einar. Um, yeah. Now, I, I saw something that said that Uncle Einar and uh, Homecoming mm-hmm. were part of From the Dust Returned, a novel. Have you read that one? No, but he wrote from Homecoming. I think he said, and somebody said, maybe I read, uh, that he liked Uncle Einar so much that he put him in Homecoming, and then he took that and turned it into a book. But okay. I haven't read it. All right. Yeah, I was just curious if you had read that or not. That's I think might have might have been Wikipedia, but um, I okay. saw it said these stories are part of uh, From the Dust Returned, which was one of Bradbury's later novels. It was yeah, yeah. Well, you kind of feel like they're uh, reading those also. I thought, is this a precursor for the Adams family? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you've even got, well, was it the Adams family or the Munsters that had one normal human? That was the Munsters. The Munsters, okay. Yeah, so in Homecoming, you've got this normal kid that really, really wants to be, you know, part of the odd folks, right? <laughs> well, like the rest of his family. And absolutely, they absolutely. They're vampires and werewolves and mind travelers and Uncle Einar with the wings. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Well, so what what other one have you got? Well, um, as it turns out, I did not plan it this way. Oh, okay. (laughs) I also have a story about somebody who's set apart. Cool. But it is uh, for a different reason. And this is called The Wonderful Death of Dudley Stone. Oh, wow. Yes. The last story. Yeah, it's the last story, and I had zero memory of it. 
And reading through it a second time, I could see why. If I was reading this when I was in high school and college and everything, it's it's kind of boring. <laughs> but reading it a little older, it's got this richness and depth that is just wonderful. And it's basically, uh, Dudley Stone is a famous author. He wrote, what, one or two amazing books. And then wrote his publishers a note that said, Sirs, today, aged 30, I retire from the field, renounce writing, burn all my effects, toss my latest manuscript on the dump, cry hail and fare thee well, yours affectionately, Dudley Stone. And he disappeared. Hmm. No one ever heard of him again. It was, you know, the big wonder. It was as if Hemingway or Steinbeck or, I don't know, some big author like that just went, that's it, and disappeared. Hmm. And everybody always wondered about it. They always... Uh, yeah, I remember, uh, was it The Catcher in the Rye, Salinger? Oh, yeah. I think just, I think that person right. disappeared, right? It's like, yeah, oh. I wrote this, but... Yeah, like he just lives no in more. the woods or something yeah, like that. recluse. I don't know that much about him, but I, I'm pretty sure... I, I don't know of anything else he's written. But that's the name that comes to mind, as you just mentioned that. Right. Yeah, yeah no, that's good. That, because that's mm. somebody you don't expect. And mm. so, let's see here. Earthquakes and avalanches in that order. I, I mean, I just love his writing. So right after that note that you just read, today, age 30, it just says, earthquakes and avalanches in that order. Why, we yeah. asked ourselves, meeting down the years. Just awesome. He just puts things so well. And well, and actually it is like the catcher and the rye guy because they actually know he's not dead. Hmm. Because yep. I was trying to remember how this guy tracked him down. He says, now who remembered Dudley? Pass the hat, I said. I'll travel 300 miles, grab Dudley Stone by the pants and say, look here, Mr. Stone. Why did you let us down so badly? Why haven't you written a book in 25 years? So he mm -hmm. sends a telegram, takes a train. Mm -hmm. says, I expected to find some doddering person, somebody who's <laughs> just um, not really even there. Yeah. And what he finds is this bigger than life guy. He's not only a big man, but he's full of energy, like a whirlwind. And he's super glad to see him. And he says, my God, I thought, and this is the man who hasn't written in 20 odd years. Impossible. He's so alive, it's sinful. I can hear his heartbeat. And he says, yeah, you thought you'd find Marley's ghost. No, nope, my wife's fixed us a New England boiled dinner. Come on home. <laughs> You're just like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And so, essentially, what you find is that he was good friends with somebody else who was an aspiring writer, who was so jealous of his writing, of Dudley Stone's success in writing, that he came to kill him. So, he could be famous, the friend could be famous as the man who killed Dudley Stone. And Dudley Stone looked at that gun and sat there and thought for a second and went, this is not a contest. You don't want me to write it anymore. I swear to you, I will never write again. Hmm. Because what he did at that point was sit and think of all the future that he and his wife had ahead of him that they wouldn't have if this man killed him. And he said he suddenly realized all the things that he could do and hadn't done and wouldn't even think about if he was a writer, running for sheriff, doing which he does. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm -hmm. All these things. And he says, okay, that's not a problem. So he gives mm -hmm. it all up, throws away his manuscripts, gives them something to the guy and say, here, do what you want with them, throw them into the ocean. And he does. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. You don't expect it because you think if somebody's an amazing writer, that that's their raison d'etre, their reason for being. Mm hmm. And what this guy does is look at it and go, no, there's a lot more important stuff than being a great writer. Like living. Hmm. And so this story is really all about what do you give up for your art? How do you balance art with real life? What does it mean to be the full man and not just the artist? And you feel like Ray Bradbury would have had some sense of that anyway. Mm, yeah. I mean, he laid, this story was written way before, but he died, you know, when he was in his 90s. And so, yeah. he says, and the other thing that I really loved about this story is John Otis, who's the man who wants to kill him, managed to say, how can you do this? 
To make everybody happy. Everyone happy, hmm. I said. To make you happy because we'll be friends again, eventually. To make Lena, his wife, happy because I'll be just her husband again and no man or no agents performing seal. And myself happy because I'd rather be a live man than a dead author. A dying man will do anything, John. Now take my last novel and get along with you. Hmm. And then he honors his promise and he does all the things that he wanted to do when he just sat there thinking about it. You know, he does run for sheriff and wins. He runs for mayor. He's the town librarian. He's the sewage disposal official. So it's interesting to me that all these things he's talking about um, at that point are all service jobs. Yeah, that's true. He's dealing with a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and they also, they go on vacation. They have a kid. They, you know, have done everything. He has a telescope. He wanted to see the stars or the planets. And he's basically just thrown himself into living life. Yeah, it's interesting. I do love this story. Um, and I had no memory of it before. Mm, this okay. latest read. I was just, some reason, must never have, have hit me, you know. But mm -hmm. but yeah, when I read it this time, I thought it was just great. But it's like he's he's telling this other guy you know, what you're about to kill me over or what you want to kill me about is not worth that. Right. Yeah. And he's, he's telling the other guy how to live at the same time. Right. Who admires yeah. him for being a great author and then says, why did you give it up? And he says, Oh, now I'm going to tell you a secret. Mm -hmm. the, <laughs> the two manuscripts that got thrown away were awful. Yeah. I'd have been the guy who did the one great book or two great books and then tanked. Right. He did me a favor. Hmm. Now, we don't know he wouldn't have gone on and written some other great things, but it comes down to, do you want to do what you'll be remembered for? And what is the price of artistic expression? Is it such that you can't give it up and be satisfied otherwise? You know, hmm. Ray Bradbury here seems to be arguing, yes, that's the case, that life is more important than those other things. Although he himself was a lifelong author. Yeah, yeah. But you feel like he balanced it well. As I said. Yeah, you feel like he did. Yeah. I really yeah. don't know for sure, but I think he probably did. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't world... read a biography of Ray Bradbury. I don't mm -hmm. know. I'm assume, I assume one exists, but I have not. Is there one? I don't know. I'm assuming so. Where? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I, I need to write one. Your new mission in life. <laughs> That's right. Stop running for sheriff right now. Right. Put down that fine finish wine. <laughs> there you go. Get out there. Get out there. Go go interview some people. Well, and it's also a again, it's funny because this guy sets himself apart. He sets himself aside from one society of people, which are writers and artists who are appreciated in one way. And he enters into a different society of people, which is the common man, essentially. Mm. And again, we're back to what do you set yourself aside from? What do you join into? What's your community? What's keeping you from community? And for this guy, he's grateful. Being a writer yeah, is what was setting yeah. him apart from a lot of things that he enjoyed more and made a good life for everybody. I mean, you know, he was doing things for people, not just for himself. Yeah, it's inspiring. Mm -hmm. It's inspiring in a lot of ways, you know, the... You know, he's talking to a lot of people here. <laughs> you know, so yeah. so not only is he talking to the guy that came to find him, he's talking to the guy that was going to shoot him. Mm -hmm. And you know, uh, Bradbury's talking to the rest of us, right? Right about um, well, what's important? You know, um, yeah. It just that's just awesome. Yeah, it's and really who great. do we idolize and why? And are we idolizing them for the right reasons? He's not saying it's wrong to love a great book or a great author. Mm -hmm. He's just pointing out there's more to it. Yeah. There's other things. This is not the thing that you think it is. Right. Yeah. So he's not judging necessarily one way or the other. He's just showing this guy made this choice, and so here's what happened here. Mm -hmm. Don't forget it. Think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So... So well done. So I snatched that one away because I knew you liked that one too. <laughs> no, so that's, thank you for letting great. me have that story. Well, geez, of course. Good heavens. <laughs> There's so many good stories in here. I could pick more. <laughs> yes. I could pick more easy. Mm -hmm. Well, the other one that I picked is another pretty much straight horror story uh, called is. The Crowd. Yep. 
145 is where it is in my book, and I'm flipping to it. Can you hear my pages? Flip, 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 flip. <laughs> Can you hear mine? <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah. I love it. You know, so again, the opening, the crowd. Mr. Spalner put his hands over his face. There was the feeling of movement in space, the beautifully tortured scream, the impact and tumbling of car with wall, through wall, over and down like a toy, and him hurled out of it. Then silence. The crowd came running. So he was, he was uh, in a car accident, and mm-hmm. a crowd came running. Um, it says, faintly where he lay, he heard them running. He could tell their ages and their sizes by the sound of their numerous feet over the summer grass and on the lined pavement and over the asphalt street and picking through cluttered bricks to where his car hung half into the night sky, still spinning its wheels with a sen- senseless centrifuge. Bam, you know, just good. Mm-hmm. You're in it. <laughs> I, I just love it, yeah. So... um he sees this crowd gather around him, and he clearly survives this accident. But then he um, he knows that... Uh, so he was interested because the crowd showed up so quickly, right? It was the just wheels like, were still turning. Yeah, the wheels were still spinning. That's, that's right. That's how fast they got there. But yeah. there's a lot of people there. Exactly. The wheels were yeah. still spinning when, when he got there. And he started to talk to people about that. You know, How could the crowd have gathered so fast? You know, um, and then he starts to investigate that, and he discovers that um, some of the people in this these crowds that gather around accidents are the same people every time. Right. And uh, you know, he's like, "What the heck's going on?" Well, because he sees an accident, mm-hmm. and he sees the and he sees more people, some right? of the same faces in the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And then he starts to look at newspaper clippings and things mm-hmm. like that, I think. Right, ones. exactly. And he puts it all together. Pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. But then as he figures it out, um, they kind of turn against him. <laughs> and he ends up in another accident. <laughs> and the crowd was there. He could smell their breasts, the mingled odors of many people sucking and sucking on the air a man needs to live by. They crowded and jostled and sucked and sucked all the air up from around his gasping face until he tried to tell them to move back. They were making him live in a vacuum. His head was bleeding very badly. He tried to move, and he realized something was wrong with his spine. He hadn't felt much at the impact, but his spine was hurt. He didn't dare move. And then, uh, just skipping just a little bit, he says, Someone said, Give me a hand. We'll roll him over and lift him into a more comfortable position. (laughs) Spalner's brain burst apart. No, don't move me. We'll move him, said the voice casually. You idiots, you'll kill me, don't. But he could not say any of this out loud. He could only think it. Um, so they did move him. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of it's course. it's the same people he's been seeing all this time. Exactly, exactly. <clears throat> um... Yeah, th- this this story made me think about a lot of things, you know. So it's like, you know, there's there's some point in which he says, um, it's like they're making sure who's supposed to die dies and who's supposed to live lives, you know. Um, but I, I thought that that was an interesting thought there. But but one of the positive thoughts that I thought about the crowd was sort of the communion of saints. As you know, the communion <laughs> okay. of saints is not going to come move you. I mean, I'm not saying not. that, but it made me think about that. Is is mm-hmm. all I'm saying. It evoked it a little bit in my head, even though the crowd was not positive in that way. Um, it sort of made me think of that. You know how uh, you know the communion of saints might look, um, but the <laughs> but the. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't agree with, you know, that that's the way the world works where, you know, hey, this person's supposed to die and all that stuff. Um, oh, yeah. No, I, I, it yeah. doesn't sound like you're saying that. Don't worry. I was oh, just good. thinking about it because it hadn't occurred to me. I was thinking, oh, well, if that's the case, then you're lying there and it's a bunch of happy, smiling people who you're glad to see. Right. Exactly. It's, that's what it, it made me think that, that that's exactly where my mind was going. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know, what would that look like? 
you know, because we believe in this crowd or the crowd or a crowd. Right. right? It's a different crowd. It's a different crowd. Yeah. Totally different crowd. Um, but I, I really liked this story in, um, you know, I've seen other things like it and maybe they've been derived from it. Um, people that show up at accidents and show up, you know, there, how many movies have we seen where, you know, they, they bring up an old photograph and it's the same person that was oh, yes. in, you know, in this other thing. But um, Bradbury, of course, you know, like we've said before, is just so good at it. Um, who knows if, if that had appeared before these stories, but, you know, um, but I just loved how he put this whole thing together. And even though, again, I, I never, I don't read these stories with, you know, these things are not surprising. You know, right. uh, it's like, you know, where it's I going. know where it's going and I'm happy to go on the ride. And I just love, <laughs> I love how he puts it together. Well, and there is a value in that because, you know, people will say, oh, it's the same old story or whatever about anything, a book, a movie or whatever. Mm. And, you know, there's only so many stories you can tell. Sometimes when you're telling stories that are, are brand new in terms of how you tell them or whatever, they're so disconnected that they're hard to understand. Thinking of like James Joyce Ulysses and that kind of thing. Mm, right. But mm. – the value in telling a story that we all kind of know the archetype for is you kind of have the framework set out for your version of the message you're trying to get across or your twist on, Oh, isn't this interesting? Mm. And we're fine with that. If it's well told, I mean, it's like eating dinner. Mm-hmm. One person makes mashed potatoes one way, one makes fried chicken a different way, but we all know the basic meal. It's you appreciate either how well or poorly it's done based on the archetype we all know of that dinner. Yeah. This is the same yeah. thing. It's a chicken dinner in that way. Yeah, and light life itself is that way too, you know. Yeah. It's a yeah. journey, right? It's a journey. Right. It's not a destination, right? And the things that he does on the way, uh, one of the other things in this story that really struck me that – I really appreciated was um, when Spalner got in that second accident, you know, what, what, what he was thinking when he was in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was really interesting. So he's driving really slowly. Um, I want to get there. He told himself alive. <laughs> he was rather shocked, but not surprised somehow when the truck came rolling out of an alley straight at him, he was just congratulating himself on his keen sense of observation and talking out what he would say to the police in his mind when the truck smashed into his car. It wasn't really his car. That was a disheartening thing about it. In a preoccupied mood, he was tossed first this way and then that way while he thought, what a shame. Morgan has gone and lent me his extra car for a few days until my other car is fixed and now here I go again. The windshield hammered back into his face. He was forced back and forth in several lightning jerks. Then all the motion stopped and the noise stopped and only pain filled him up. Um, man, that, 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 that paragraph just, I mean, it really gets me the, the whole thing, you know, like, you know, what he's thinking, this irrational stuff. Oh, poor Morgan, you know, I just smashed his car and he's like getting violently hurt at the same time while he's thinking about this stuff. Right. You know, it's like time slows and, uh, you know, he has time to think these thoughts. Yeah, he's outside himself at that point. Exactly. Kind of. Yeah. Just amazing. And, you know, Bradbury does that in a paragraph. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's it's so good. That's not even the whole paragraph. That's just part of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. I think. Um, yep. Well, and see, so that's the beauty of it. How many times have you read about, you know, somebody's in a car accident, this and that. But he takes that moment to continue filling out the story. Mm-hmm. He knows what's happening. He's looking at consequences to other people like, oh, this guy's car, oh, what a bummer, because he knows it's his fault. They were kind of out to get him. He right. wasn't even surprised when the truck came out. Mm-hmm. And it's not that he's like, oh, no, they're out to get me, and he's trying to get away. He's just like, oh, that sense of inevitability. Yeah. So you're kind of taken along with him of, I couldn't get away with it. These guys are supernatural because they've been in all these really old pictures. Mm-hmm. It's just going to happen like this. Yeah. Well, it also made me think when you were talking about we know the story and we were mm-hmm. discussing that, 
made me think about you said something about you know that's life <laughs> oh yeah we do the same things over and over and mm. um which is the catholic way to look at it really i mean every day is the same but every day is different you get up you have your routine unless you're doing some you know like you're on vacation or something but you have breakfast you do whatever it is you're going to do next but within that day there are the small variations and the small variations of how we encounter people how our internal adjustment is, how many times do we connect with God or, or whatever it is that we're doing. That's what makes up life. That's what mm. makes up the tapestry that we're weaving out of everything. And that goes along with one of my favorite things about hitting October in this time of year is the seasons, the sun changes, you can feel the change in the seasons. And it's that idea, and I, I know I've mentioned this before at some point, but you know, the liturgical year hmm. is yeah. taking us through the calendar year. We mm -hmm. know fall's coming every year. We don't know how the leaves are going to be this year. We don't know how early it will get cold, but we know Thanksgiving's coming. We don't know how the family will act when they get together or who can come, but we know we're going to have that turkey. We don't know. And so these are all the little variations that make up the differences in our lives. Yeah. It's how do we handle the variations. You know. Yeah, you're making me think of maths. Yeah, you know, it's maths the same. Is the same way. If right. I was talking to a a person just the other day, you know, it's like maths is the same, you know, every single time, but there's small variations, just like you're saying. And 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 if you if you go to mass regularly, when they change something due <laughs> to the part of the year we're in, it's very noticeable mm -hmm. and uh, really affecting. It's it's really great. But yeah, yeah that's because, like life, oh, life in a in a nutshell, right? Yeah. And um, you know, we talk about goals. You know, a lot of I say we. A lot of people talk about goals. We got to have goals. We got to have this and that. But mm -hmm. uh, um, again, it's the journey that's the thing. You know, it's good to have a goal, but mm -hmm. enjoy your enjoy your trip. Don't <laughs> don't <laughs> kill yourself over the goal, which is what Bradbury was kind of saying in the at that other story as well in the Dudley right. Stone story. Right. Um, you know, you've got to be enjoying the trip, you know, and that guy clearly wasn't enjoying being a writer anymore. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. so to, to have that little shove that says, hey, you know, maybe you shouldn't do it anymore. You know, why are you doing it? You know, we should we should look at that sometimes. Yeah. And I don't know if he yeah. even wasn't enjoying it. I think this was just the wake up call where he says because he knew he could die right then. Yeah. He says the hole in that gun looked like a crater on the moon. Right. Staring right. at him. Yeah. He suddenly thought. Well, the, about yeah, the reason I thought he wasn't enjoying it anymore because he didn't like his last two books. Oh, and, well. And I would assume that that would be excruciating. Maybe. Yeah. He didn't. Re and you're right. That could be. Mm. I just was thinking the fact that he suddenly says, "I." it's like any of us. Um, if you're given that wake-up call of, oh, you need to go in for a biopsy, you need mm. to do whatever, you suddenly start thinking about life differently. You think about right. the future differently. Mm. What have I not done? Who have I not talked to? All these things. And when you're lucky, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and oh, it's nothing, it's this, it's that, you still kind of have that consciousness. You go back to how you're living mostly, yeah. but it's heightened something in you. Yeah. And that's what that story kind of is about, is he suddenly was like, oh, I never thought about any of these things. I was just going along and doing well. And his wife says, no, don't do it. And he's like, oh, are you kidding me? Hmm. I have to give up being a writer. It's yeah. fine. And, and I loved his main reason. It will make you happy. It will make everybody hmm. happy. Me, my wife, you. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it up because it will make you guys happy. Nice. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. That's yeah. terrific. That's terrific. Yeah. Well done, Mr. Bradbury. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I would recommend people read Uncle Einar, you said it's pronounced, yeah, E-I-N-A-R. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That story also is about what does it take to make you happy? What do you see in each other mm -hmm. that excludes the stuff that people don't understand that makes you happy and gives you a fulfilled life? Yeah, yeah. Cool. And it's just kind of a bit of a toss-off story, but that's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Well, another kind of a toss-off story um, that I like is again, it's you know, it's like I picked three stories in this in this thing that are really almost straight 
kind of a horror kind mm-hmm. of, you know. But The Wind is one, oh, another yeah. one that oh. I'd recommend. Um, it's a fun story about this guy who uh, who's traveled the world and has managed not to get killed, basically, uh, by various disasters, uh, weather-related disasters. And now mm-hmm. he's afraid of the wind. He's positive that the wind itself is out to get him. And right. uh, it's just, this story is just perfect. It carries the voices of all the souls that have been killed in hurricanes and tornadoes and right. any kind of wind-related uh, <laughs> disaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things that he's survived and, and managed right. to miss and cheated the wind itself out of those things. And yeah, it's good stuff. Well, and in that sense, it's like the crowd because it's the idea that once you have known and recognized evil, the evil will not leave you there to be a witness against it. It yeah, is going to stop yeah. you. That's that's well, interesting. No reason- yeah. Oh, wait, go ahead. No, I said that's interesting is all. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, well, I just it just kind of came together for me because mm-hmm. that story, the wind, um, even in a sense, the man upstairs, mm. another one that's straight horror that I really liked and I remember always liking. Yeah. You you have this evil entity, and it's a sh- it's a short horror story. And really, the people who know about what's wrong, they can't do anything. No one's going to believe them. Yeah. But the evil is going to take care of them. But once you have that knowledge, right now you're kind of responsible. <laughs> I guess. Well, it, it's like you know, or it will hold you responsible, right? I can't. Yeah, I can't yeah. leave a witness. And the man mm-hmm. upstairs is the one where it gets flipped. Um, right. But it's, yeah, and in in that sense, it's, you know, in our world as Christians, you have to know and acknowledge evil is there. Mm. It's not, you know, a separate entity from God, but there is such a thing as the enemy, classically yeah. known as Satan. Mm-hmm. And it is working to keep our downfall coming, but <laughs> you can't dwell on it too much. That paralyzes you. True. And opens all yeah. kinds of doors that you don't need opened. That's right. Yeah. But you have to remember it's there. So it's a funny little tightrope. <laughs> and these people are all kind of walking that tightrope. Yeah. Wasn't that in the, the screw tape letters? Um, I was thinking of that when I was yeah. talking. <laughs> it's like you can make two mistakes when it comes to the demons. One is not uh, believing they exist or something like that. And the other one is caring too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I horribly mangled that paraphrase, but something like that. <laughs> well, and it's funny because I was just reading, I'm I'm reading, and I was telling you this before we started, I'm reading The Fellowship by Philip and Carol Zaleski. Mm, yes. And it is an amazingly good book. I liked the book we read, but this is even better because it's got this real dimension of talking about all the spiritual qualities and things that they were going through as they came along. Um which goes along with the fellowship, right? Yeah. The name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was just reading about Lewis writing the screw tape letters, and he says, though it was easy to twist one's mind into the diabolical attitude, it was not fun or not for long. The strain produced a sort of spiritual cramp. The world into which I had to project myself while I spoke through screw tape was all dust, grit, thirst, and itch. Every trace of beauty, freshness, and geniality had to be excluded. It almost smothered me before it was done. It would have smothered my readers if I had prolonged it. Wow. And to me, what that meant was also it made me think of how when we watch a movie or read a story, we're identifying with the protagonist. And now, of course, it's kind of a trend to tell the antihero story. And, uh, you know, you get, oh, gosh, I can't remember the name of it, but like the series about the serial killer who's doing, working for the FBI or whatever, because it's the only way he can control his impulses and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's still a dangerous way to tell a story. Hmm. We don't, we don't have enough heroes to identify with. We don't need these people. We already know what evil is, you know, even Hmm. if it's being used for good or whatever. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Anyway. Mm -hmm. Wow, I love it. (laughs) Well, we went down some interesting roads here. (laughs) But yes, always fun. Always fun. Yep. 
So thank you very, very much. Thank you. I'm so glad you picked this. I wouldn't have picked this collection up again Uh thinking, oh, yeah, I've read it so many times. (laughs) And even rereading the old stories that I knew was fun. And as I said, surprising. The (laughs) ones I couldn't stand anymore because they were too horrible. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That makes me happy. Yeah, (laughs) good stuff. And I found the wonderful death of Dudley Stone. Come yeah, on. yeah, for sure, for sure. Yep. I found it too in this reading. That's yep. that's great. <laughs> for both of us. Yep, you bet. Well, what's next is ah, oh, a quiet place. John Krasinski. I like John Krasinski. Yes. I you will watched... enjoy the quiet place. Huh? I hope you enjoy the quiet place. I think you will. I expect to. And yes. then I can listen to Bishop Barron's half hour episode from yes. Word on Player about it, which I think we all do. Heck yeah. Yeah. Looking but, forward yeah, to talking no. about it. I'm glad you picked it because it would take me a long time to make myself watch it, even though I do. So now I'll be forced to. So mm. I appreciate it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good. Yes. Right. I'll get Hannah to come and watch it with me. It'll be fine. Oh, perfect. Be fine. She can tell you about the bad parts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh, it. Goodness. I love it. Okay. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody. Thanks for listening. Happy October. Yes. And I hope you have a very nice fall. You know, autumn, that is. Don't yeah. fall anybody. <laughs> Whatever. I don't Capital want anybody F falling. Fall. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks. Yeah, bye-bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>